most larger investors don't invest in tenant-friendly states, or we try to skew towards landlord-friendly states. And one of the big reasons for that, anyone who's you know lived or had property in California or New York is two examples. If someone doesn't pay the rent, you can take a year, two, three years to actually evict them and take ownership back of your property. And that whole time, you're still going to be paying the mortgage, you're still going to be paying expenses, and it can really cripple you. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to grow their wealth by investing in US real estate. I'm your host, Reed Goosens, and so far, I've acquired over $800 million worth of investments on various properties across the United States. On this podcast, I interview go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business to learn more about their investment journey and the cutting-edge strategies they are applying towards building a legacy. For more on growing your own wealth and by investing in the US, visit www www.readgoosens.com. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible investing advice here on investing in the US. And today's a little different. I've actually got an awesome guest, returning guest, but also returning as my business partner. And we're going to dive into some really awesome topics. But let's introduce my guest for today. He is uh, another Australian, a uh, good bloke, all-round good bloke. You've heard him on the podcast probably many, many years ago. If you re- re- rewind the clock all the way back to when the podcast first started, Ben, I believe, was on it talking about how to get set up here in the US. Today, he's coming back as a business partner at RSM Property Group, but enough out of me. Let's get him out of here. G'day, Ben. How you doing, mate? G'day, mate. It's nice to chat to you on the podcast after chatting to you every day and every day. So. And no, that was fine. correct, I was right? Pod- I, I did say the right thing that back in the day you did the episode on getting set up here in the US. I did. I did. That must have been like eight years ago when yeah, I had a, a business. It must have been like 2015 or something. Something like that. I had a business similar to like Roofstock, but targeted specifically for Australian and international investors coming to invest in the US, how to get, and it was all about how to get LLCs, bank accounts, be compliant with US legal and tax uh, matters. And uh, yeah. And as you know, maybe the guests don't know, that business has since been wound down. And Reid and I are in business at RSN Property Group doing multifamily investments, which is what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, no, and just and a quick quick reminder to everyone listening, if you do have questions about getting set up here in the US or anything like that, we we still know how to do it all. The, the, the rules really haven't changed a lot. So Ben is the expert on that. We do help interna- our international investors coming into the US who want to invest here in multifamily it's a small portion of our investor database, let's be honest, but we do still know how to do it. We connect people with all the good CPAs and lawyers out there that can help them get set up here legally and then can invest in our deals and other people's deals. But that's not what we're talking about today on the, the show. We're actually going to dive into the multifamily benefits and why we like to invest uh, in, in in multifamily. And we're going to cover, cover a couple of different things. We're going to talk about how it works from a macro point of view, about why we're investing in multifamily. We're going to then dive into what is a good investment and why what we perceive to be a good investment and te- talk to the audience about the different things that we like to look at when assessing a new deal. And then we'll talk about, Ben, we're going to talk about why uh, is it a great investment for passive investors? This is going to be a series of podcasts you're going to see come out here over the next probably three to four months. Ben and I are doing a little bit more of a deep dive into our business, into what we do day in, day out, because sometimes our listeners of the podcast don't know that we have an active business. They don't know about RSM Property Group. They just know about 
the books and investing in the US. So this is an, an opportunity for us to really show you guys, pull back the curtain on what we do day in, day out, which is the bread and butter of our investment business, which is RSN Property Group. With that being said, Ben, anything before we're diving into the major topics today? No, you said it well. Um, so I'm excited to jump into it. Cool. All right. So we're going to talk, as I said, about why multifamily housing, right? And we're going to, Ben and I are going to go you know, back and forth and have a more of a conversational tone about this, but it's it's all from education, right? We're coming from a point that we've been doing this for nearly a decade. We have over you know, have purchased uh, over seven hundred million dollars, I believe, in, in in multifamily assets here in the US. So eight hundred and thirty. Yeah, well, there we go. So uh, we just closed on one last week. So we are very in touch with what multifamily is. That's what we do day in day out. We've done twenty. We, we've completed twenty four transactions over the past 10 years. Um, so we know a little bit about multifamily. You know, we, we, we're not trying to blow smoke around, but we we are good at what we do. And hopefully we, you guys can get some good education out of it. So let's talk about why we've chosen multifamily investing. And, and I'm going to take this one, Ben, if you don't mind. But high level, we invest in multifamily housing. And, and you, you know, let's understand what multifamily housing is. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's multiple units. And when I first got started, I was buying duplexes and triplexes. And that is technically multifamily housing, but it's called residential, right? It's it, four units and less are residential. Five units and more is called commercial. And today, back when I when Ben and I first got started, we, we were doing the small stuff, but today we buy, like we just closed on a hundred unit property in Phoenix, Arizona. We've closed on 250 units or 350 units. And these are bigger, large scale apartment buildings, right? And they, 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 they look like what you would see here in the US. And if for those international investors who may not, you know, and we're not talking just to international investors, but those people listening from abroad, think of, an, uh, you, know, um, you know, a bunch of apartments uh, in a building, right? We're buying the entire building and we're providing housing to working class folks around the, around the US. We believe that multifamily is a need, like shelter is one of the human needs. Food and shelter is one of those things. And as affordability becomes, continues to become a problem, renters are going to continue to need to rent places and you know the ability to buy a new house or or get it started in in the housing um, market by buying your first property becomes a little bit more unobtainable as affordability becomes you know continues to be a problem and thus we believe fundamentally that providing good clean safe affordable housing for working class Americans is really where we provide that niche right so we yeah and I'll, I'll add one thing to that you know like like I'm a renter you know, I own property. Uh, we own the large apartment buildings. Um, but for me, uh, living in New York City and Brooklyn, it's a, it's a fake background here. I wish I lived with somewhere with a view like this. Uh, but I choose to rent. And I choose to rent because I want to live in a part of town that if I wanted to buy here, it would be prohibitively expensive. So I kind of get the best of both worlds by renting where I want to live and then investing where I can get the maximum return for my investment. So I think you're going to see a lot of people um, catching on to that. I know Grant Cardone speaks about that strategy a lot, and um, I think more and more people are going to do that too. So yeah, there's there's a lot of good reasons to rent. Right, and and, and you know, just quickly touching on, we're sort of jumping around a little bit, but you know, the areas we focus on. So I'm maybe going to throw you a little bit under the bus here, Ben. But you spoke about New York City. We're not buying. Yep. We're not buying in New York City. But you want to tell people what, where we are buying and why we're buying there. Most larger investors don't invest in um, tenant-friendly states, or we try to skew towards landlord-friendly states. And one of the big reasons for that, um, anyone who's you know lived or had property in California or New York, as two examples, 
if someone doesn't pay the rent, you can take a year, two, three years to actually evict them and take ownership back of your property. And that whole time, you're still going to be paying the mortgage, you're still going to be paying expenses, um, and it can really cripple you. Whereas in a place like uh, you know Arizona or Texas or many other states that we invest in, if uh, someone doesn't pay the rent, you know you try to work it out with them. But if you can't work something out with them, uh, you you can have them evicted in you know thirty days, forty five days, and you're able to bring that unit back online, generating income for ourselves and our investors. You know a hell of a lot easier than um, you know investing in a place like New York. And there are obviously a lot of investors in New York, and they really specialize and get really good at understanding the system here and making the most of it. And they're usually much larger in scale to be successful in some of these more more niche cities. But uh, you know, we're we're playing in the places where it's easiest to play, where we can make the safest and most consistent returns, and that happens to be you know the, the red states, the landlord friendly states, you know Arizona, Texas, Carolinas, and, and more. Yep, and then we talk about the Sun Belt. You know, we talk about where. We also look where people are migrating to, you know, where things are growing. And the, the, the affordability play is big, right? New York, San Francisco, LA, you know, sometimes can be really, it's really expensive to live in these cities. I live in Los Angeles and Ben lives in New York. And, but, the, but you know, the average American, you know, is looking for, for more affordable places. And you've seen post COVID, and this is not, this is true before COVID, but, you know, people flocking to where things can be a little bit more affordable. You don't have to spend, 600, 700,000, 800,000 on getting your first home. You know, places in Texas where, you know, the average home might be around 250 to $300,000, a little bit more obtainable to get the American dream. And they're the areas we're looking at, right? But we're not also looking at areas where that are stagnant in growth. We want population growth. We want good employers there. We want to see the cities expanding. And with expansion becomes opportunities for us to come in and buy assets undervalued. And then, you know, this leads us into sort of, what we like to do, and then we go and add that value. So with that being said, I'm going to quickly now pivot and talk a little bit about how it works, you know, in terms of how we go about our, our process of looking for deals. So we obviously, from a macro point of view, we identify different areas across the United States. We, we just mentioned a couple of areas, Phoenix, South Carolina, Texas is, right? These are all areas that are growing. These are all areas which are good, good landlord-friendly states. But there are also good areas where affordability is big, right? So where it's attracting people from across the US. We can then go in and we look for, for multifamily assets. And we will underwrite or we will evaluate many deals in a market before we start buying a deal. So take Phoenix, for example. We've been looking at Phoenix for probably three to four years, five years maybe. And you know, in the in the beginning, we're not just flying in there and buying the first thing we we see. We are spending time getting to know the area. So we probably spent 18 months before we bought our first asset there underwriting deals. So we and when I say underwriting, it's just a fancy word for analyzing deals. And what we like to do at RSN is we as we enter any new market, we like to spend time six to 12 months underwriting, underwriting, analyzing, analyzing, analyzing every single deal we can so we can get a feel for what is what, what a tenant's paying per, for rent. What are operating expenses doing? How the valuation of a particular property is going or trending towards? We also like to talk to local property managers and local property brokers to get an understanding and a feel for that area. We obviously don't live in these areas, but we need to study the market. And we do that by doing a desktop study, by underwriting you know, a lot of deals. And I'm talking not just one or two, I'm talking about 50, 60, 70 deals in a market and keeping that data 
and, and and getting comfortable with where things are trending towards to then be confident to go and put a good offer in to know that we're not overpaying for a particular uh, property when we enter that particular market. From there, once we identify an asset, we will then go and raise capital, right? Ben and I aren't just sitting on $50 million worth of cash. We have to go and find partners. And the partnership we, we, we form with our investors is called a syndication. And a syndication works in two ways. It is uh, us leveraging our investors' capital for the down payment, but it's also our investors leveraging us and our expertise to go out and study markets and take time to underwrite 100 deals to bring them that one deal. So it's the, be the best of both worlds, and it's, it's an ability for both of us as the operator and as the investors to come together and form that partnership. Uh, and that's what we do. So, Ben, any any comments on that before we, we continue moving on? You've said it well. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd expand on that a little bit and say the types of investors we work with, number one, you have to be an accredited investor. And that means that you have to have uh, income over the last two years of $200,000 in each of those last two tax years. Or if you have a spouse, you can earn $300,000 combined. And the other way that most commonly people get accredited is to have a million dollars in assets, excluding their primary residence. And there's a few other ways to get accredited, but they're the main two. And uh, they're the only investors that we are permitted to work with. And inevitably, that ends up being, um, you know, lawyers, doctors, people working in tech, you know, white collar professionals. But we certainly get a lot of people, um, you know, blue collar guys who are, who are doing really, really well, guys or gals. And then a lot of business owners, and that that kind of forms the bread and butter of the people who are really good investor profiles to invest with us. And the other big thing, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, is that the investments are 100% passive. So you know, when you're a high-powered tech worker or a lawyer, you know, you don't need to be getting calls about a leaky sink or a block toilet on a Sunday night. Even if you've got a property manager, like I own uh, properties and I have property managers. And you still end up having to talk about, you know, significant repairs. You still need to have to talk about um, insurance matters or tenant issues. There's always things that bubble up and that can just drive you crazy when you've got a busy week and you're trying to deal with stuff. So, you know, the benefit to multifamily investing in syndications like Reed and I do is that it's 100% passive. And that really appeals to the investors that we work with. And I will pause there because you know I could talk about that all day and that's when I want to talk about wanna, raising capital all day. And I want to come back to that. So just from a high level again, we... We, we underwrite deals or analyze deals in a market, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that now. We find deals, we put them under contract, we then raise capital from our investors and form the partnership, which is a syndication, and then we close on those deals. So let's talk about how, what does a deal look like? Why, why isn't everyone doing this? Well, there are other people doing it, and there are other, other syndicators out there, and we're not the only ones. And I'll first and foremost say that yeah, we, we encourage people to invest with multiple syndicators because that's a, a great way for diversification. But for here at RSN, we look at multifamily assets where we, you know, we know what by doing those desktop studies, we know what renters will pay for for a studio, for a one bedroom, for a two bedroom in certain areas of a particular market, like Phoenix or Austin or San Antonio or Greenville, South Carolina. And we can understand that based on the vintage of the asset. So let's just talk about the types of assets we buy. We typically buy existing assets that are built between 1975 and 2000 and that need we need to go in there and they need to have to be a bit of a refresh but the main thing we look at is the income of the property so we look at the in place rents and we can find out that information pretty easy you can google you know an apartment building and you can see on apartments.com what 
a, a studio has been rented for, or what a one bedroom has been rented for, or what a two bedroom has been rented for. Um, plus, we're also speaking with the local brokers and the local property managers. And so we have a very good finger on the pulse about what these things can rent for. And as we look at multiple deals, we can come across certain information about a particular deal, like a rent roll, and we can see, well, hang on, these tenants are not paying as much as what they should be paying compared to other properties in their local area. And so that is the value that we then say, well, that, aha, the light bulb goes off. And that's where we can say, well, maybe these studio apartments can be brought up to market value. Meaning, so say a studio apartment might rent for $1,000 a month, which sound, might sound really cheap where, where you live. Well, in some parts of the country, that's the normal. That's the norm, right? But maybe the p- apartments in the local area could, a studio could go, could rent for $1,200 a month, right? Well, why isn't this current property not renting for $1,200 today? Well, there's a number of myriad of reasons why it goes into that, but that's what we look for as when we analyze deals. We look for that difference between the market rents on studios, ones, twos, and three bedrooms, depending on the property, and seeing where we can push that rent to. So that's, that's in, in, in theory, the business plan. So when, when we find the deal, we identify the deal, put on a contract, partner with our investors, close on the deal, we then want to go in and start renovating the property. Our main focus is obviously renovating the units to increase the rent. And again, we're not trying to push the rent above market rent or what other people are paying for. We're just trying to bring it up to market. But that doesn't happen overnight. We can't just walk in there and turn on the light and all of a sudden, all the units, particularly like a 100-unit property or 150-unit property, all these units are now paying what they should be paying, right? It takes time. So we, as the operators, and that's what we do with construction management and and our, our backgrounds in this space, is we go in and methodically renovate the assets. So we'll start with things that don't affect the current tenants, right? I.e. redoing the leasing center. So we'll renovate the leasing center. We'll might update the gym. We might renovate the, around the pool, all the amenities where the tenants like to feel like they, they call these, 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 these places home. They want to feel like there's been love poured into that. And we go and find assets. We're a little bit tired, a little bit run down, and we'll come and put that love in. So we'll do update the landscaping. We'll update the renovating of the 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 the, reno, the leasing center, the the amenities, the barbecue areas, adding dog parks, re maybe even repainting the property because it might need to be repainted. Maybe doing new roofs, showing some love to the asset that you know is maybe twenty to forty years old. And then we do that in the first sort of six months. And then after that, or as we're sort of getting our feet underneath us, tenants will naturally move in and out every single month, right? So if you're looking at a hundred unit property. On rule of thumb, at any given point, you'll probably have a 5% vacancy. Now, you may, you may have a, a higher vacancy depending if the, current, the existing owner was running it poorly or not, and that's where we find value as well. But by and large, you have, an, you have a natural vacancy depending on the market. Rule of thumb, somewhere between 5 and 10%. So at any given point in the year, you should have 5 to 10% of units available to renovate, right? And that's where we come in and we'll renovate those units, we'll put in granite countertops, we'll put in undermount sinks, put new flooring in, give it a lick of paint, freshen it up because some of these assets are 30, 40 years old and they they look like they're 30 or 40 years old. And so tenants will then say, well, hang on, I, w- I want the upgraded sink. I want the upgraded gooseneck faucet. Okay, well, we can do that for you, but we're going to have to charge you an extra 150 bucks a month. And they're like, okay, well, but let's do it because I want a fresh I want a fresh unit. And, and we do that methodically every single month. So maybe five to six units a month and it will take us probably 12 to 24 months to renovate the entire property. And that's in general how we increase the rents 
you know, beautify the asset and be able to increase the value. And so I'm just going to pause there, Ben. Do you want to add anything to that, to those descriptions that I've been, I've been saying? No, again, you've said it really well. So I don't want to jump in on that, but I think now's a good time to step into talking about how these assets are priced. Correct. Because sing- single family assets are priced based on comps. So whatever your neighbor's house sold for is, you know, somewhat going to relate to the price of your property. But for these, you know, commercial multifamily assets, it works differently. And and re jump in when I uh as I as I need uh, assistance. But obviously, um the amount of rent that the property brings in increases the net operating income of these assets. And the higher the net operating income, fundamentally, the higher the value of the asset itself. So by us pushing up these rents and making the property so much nicer, the value of the property as it's priced like a business is greatly increased upon sale time. And that's that's fundamentally how you know the assets are priced and how we make our profits on this. But Reid, you want to clarify further? Yeah. So back to what I was saying before about the income. So at, you know, you were starting from point X and we're trying to push it to point Y. And on that 100 unit example I said before about the natural vacancy where you know, month one, we will renovate five units, right? Well, those five units will need to be renovated, then they'll be back in the leasing pool, and then they'll need to be re-rented at the higher price. And that slowly inches the income towards where we want it to go over the next 24 months. And in doing that, we do we do two things. We increase the cash flow of the property which is going back to investors. But then we go back to the what Ben was talking about, but the value of the property, the net operating income, the, the, the income of the property has increased. Thus, the value has increased of the asset. Because in general, going back to commercial, you know, the difference between commercial and residential real estate is that commercial real estate, like the deals we buy, are valued like a business. So if you increase revenue, you increase the value of the asset, you increase the cash flow, and that's the purpose of why we go and renovate the individual units over a period of time. So with that being said, let's dive maybe back into, you know, we talked about how we look at deals. We talk about the types of markets we look at. We talk about the, the underwriting process. And there's, there's a lot of nuances to that. Let's, and this is a quick 30, 40 minute podcast. We're not going to be able to, you know, explain everything in detail, but we're trying to give you a high level overview education of what we do. So if you are ever interested in investing with RSN, you can come along and you know, you're coming with a little bit of knowledge before we start having that conversation. But Ben, do you want to quickly pivot to talking about the passive aspect of it? Why investors particularly like to invest in hard assets and the benefits that go along with that? Yeah, sure. So I think that's, we touched on this before. And one of the most important things to understand is that these investments are truly 100% passive. With the slight exception at the start, when you would potentially invest in one of these assets, there's two key things that you really want to do. The first thing is to do a lot of due diligence on the operator. You want to find out about their track record. You want to find out about their um, team. You want to find out about how they run their business. Uh, we actually just sent a newsletter about this. So anyone on our mailing list has already got a pretty detailed article about the things that we think are important on that front. But we can't emphasize the importance of this enough. The person who is in charge of these investments is often many times more important than the asset itself, which sounds counterintuitive to many people. But you've got to think about it. If you've got the captain of the ship is someone who is, uh, you know, cracks under pressure or maybe just isn't experienced enough, doesn't matter how good the ship is, you know, you're still going to hit into, you know, rocky waters. So operator due diligence is, is very crucial. 
And then, of course, you want to do due diligence on the property itself, the property, and that encompasses as well the the area, um, everything else that goes into it. So, um, where's it located? The vintage, um, the the business plan behind the property, all that stuff. So, we could talk about you know the due diligence that needs to go in in a little bit more detail, but that's an important step. But once you've decided to invest, it really is as simple as wiring your money, and then you sit back and you get those monthly reports, the quarterly financials. If you have questions about how things are performing, you can absolutely get on the phone with, you know, if, if it happens to be me and Reed, it would be me and Reed. If it happens to be another operator, you, you sure as heck want to have their cell phone to be able to ask questions. And uh, again, after that, it's it's truly completely passive. So it'll be a three to five year hold period. You'll get quarterly distributions from the cash flow that the property produces. And then you'll get a lump sum payment at the end when the asset has increased in price. And um, this this wasn't what we were covering, but just if, if anyone's out there wondering how we as operators make money, it's at that sale time. 70% of the profits go to investors and 30% of the profits go to us as operators. And that's fundamentally how we make our money. If the investment's a big success, we share in that you know, profit with the investors. If the investment is not a big success, you know, heaven forbid, you know, we we don't make any money on the deal or, or very little money. There's there's um you know some nuances there, but you know fundamentally, if the investment is a success, we we all benefit in that. So our interests are heavily aligned, and that's that's kind of the passive nature of it in a nutshell. I already talked about uh, you know the challenges with owning property, even with a property manager. So I won't go over that again. Reed, any final thoughts on that? The the other thing about the, the passive investments and is investing. What why would you invest in physical assets versus paper assets like a stock market? Right. I think the, the yeah, big thing. Great point. Is is going to to investors who want exposure to real estate, but they don't necessarily have the time or the energy to go find that. And the reason you want exposure to real estate is because it's a physical asset, right? So part of the investing your dollars is you, you have things called. Um, uh, depreciation, right? And depreciation is really, really important in these investments. So there's four. They talk about four different things when you're looking at an investment. There's going to be the cash flow of the property itself. There's going to be the amortization. That means you know how the rental payments or uh, that the renters are paying pays down the mortgage and creates equity. Um, there's going to be appreciation or forced appreciation of the long period, which is what we spoke about coming in, renovating the units, increasing that value. And the last thing is going to be depreciation, right? Which is the physical nature of the asset in, in that, that over time, a physical building will depreciate in value. And so investors can offset certain income. And I'm not going to get too technical about this, but it's compared to say a stock investment where, which is called a paper investment, you may get a, you may get a dividend of say 6%, but you have to pay Uncle Sam a third of that because you don't get any depreciation. It's not a physical um, you're just investing in stock. So you don't you get taxed on that. Investing in hard assets, you get to offset that income. So you may create six percent from cash flow in a year, but you get to offset that that income from cash flow by the fact that the asset has depreciated over that period of time as well. And our goal at RSN is always to try and offset your income or the cash flow from the property versus how much depreciation you get. So you get to keep a hundred percent of that. 6% in that particular example. Ben, do you want to add anything to that before we keep going? One nuance, the depreciation is actually held within the um, 
fund itself and losses flow down to investors. It's um, fundamentally the same thing, but an important nuance. Something you touched on that I thought was important to bring up again is um, the portfolios that people hold. And what we see with a lot of our investors is they'll come to us and they'll say, you know, hey, look, I'm a tech worker and I've got really good income and I've got a 401k and I've got equity in my um, company, but I have zero real estate. And, you know, you might have the same thing from a a lawyer who says like, look, I've got an incredibly high income and um, I'm trying to get partner in the company and maybe get some equity in that way. But um, fundamentally, I've got a 401k and, you know, the, the commonalities we see with a lot of our investors, you know, you know, doctors as well, is um, they're all invested heavily in paper assets like stocks and bonds and mutual funds. And if you look at the portfolio of the 1% or even the 5%, it's very different. They have a huge chunk of their wealth in um, not their primary residence, but true real estate investments along with business equity and all sorts of other things. So there's so many people in America who have horribly balanced portfolios. And real estate is only one uh, aspect or one asset that you want to have in your portfolio, but it is an incredibly important asset to have, again, that all of the 1% and top 5% traditionally have in there. So this is a great way to balance your portfolio and get exposure to um, real estate. And that's to that point, we we at RSN want to be that when you want to start delving into uh, having a more balanced portfolio that we can provide that chunk of uh, of your balanced portfolio, whatever that might be, 10, 20, 30% of your portfolio might be devoted to real estate. Well, then if you're interested, come and, come and chat with us. So with that being said, Ben, I don't think there's a too much more we want to necessarily cover here, but we can quickly go and just summarize the show for folks. And maybe you can tell, you can tell people where they can reach out to us if they want to find more. Sure. Sounds good. So just to recap on what we've talked about, we've 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 come everything from high level, why multifamily, why we're investing, you know, I- I providing shelter because it's a human need and, and who are our tenants, you know, working class folks. We we spoke about where in the country we're we're buying, you know, landlord friendly states, affordability is really got to be really uh, important in these in these areas that we're buying in. We then spoke about the asset itself and how we look to value the assets against other assets. And we talked about the income. Where's the in-place rent today versus where we can take it to? And how? And then we spoke about how we do go and do that and go and execute because it's really important about the execution of that business plan. And you know, we've done this over you know, 24 different deals over the past 10 years. Then we spoke a little bit about the passive investing nature of, of investing in real estate and it's the syndication, which is the coming together of real estate investors and operators like ourselves to form that partnership. And then we dove a little bit more deep into the benefits of real estate and talking about the differences between uh, paper lot paper investments versus hard assets and why you want to have a balanced portfolio. Ben, did I leave anything out there in that quick little summary? We covered a lot, but I think that's a pretty good summary. I'll just sort of like close and say, I hope this isn't too uh, a salesy for our viewers out there or our listeners out there. That's not uh, the intention. So if you have questions about you know any aspect of this, let us know because we want to do episodes that cover valuable content and educational materials that you want to hear. So let us know if there's anything that you want us to dive deeper on and that will subsequently be the next episode that we do. Yep. And so with that, Ben, where can people you know, reach us if they want to find out more? rsnpropertygroup.com. You can fill out the form on the website. That'll put you on our mailing list. You'll then get alerted at any time we have a new deal. You can then reach out to us and uh, communicate with us if you have uh, questions or you want to jump on a call. But rsnpropertygroup.com is your entry point to 
having any conversations with us. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, look, again, thanks for jumping on the show. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the show each and every week. We try to provide as much valuable content because we're all about increasing your financial IQ. That's what we're about in the show. If you do like the show, you can give the show a five-star review on iTunes. And we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. 